the last couple of months, it's been, uh, it's been, uh, it's been really good uh, just to kind of be plugged back into my hometown, uh, back into my home community. Uh, not many priests get the opportunity to be sent to their hometown. Uh, and I'll be honest, I was a little bit nervous coming in, but I feel like the last three, four months has, been, has really been a blessing for me uh, in a lot of ways. Um, one of them has been, uh, I get to see my family a little bit more. Um, I get to kind of pop in and say hello a little bit more often. It's, I, don't, I don't live in Cutoff anymore in Thibodeau. It's, I'm five minutes down the street. Not often, but a little bit more often than what I was. Uh, the funny part is, is when I go home, uh, I walk into my house, and my family's house uh, looks a lot different since when I left for college about 12 years ago. Like, we, we, we've basically gone through this house and renovated it. Over about the past 20 or so years, um, my dad has basically gone room by room and renovated it with new, new paint and new, new furnishings and, you know, shelves and things like that. Like, making just each room, I think, has gone twice over now. Now, the reason why he has to do this is because uh, my mom, <laughs> right? Uh, my mom loves HGTV. <laughs> um, and if you're a lady and you watch those things, you're like, oh, yeah, Chip and Joe and Shiplap and all that stuff. Yeah. And guys, if you watch those things, you're like, yeah, that's my Lowe's bill. That's, it's great. Because um, what happens is, is that my mom watches HGTV. Then she looks at my dad and says, you know, I was thinking. And that line is scary. I was thinking. Because whenever you hear the words, I was thinking, that means I have to build, paint, or buy something. Uh, and that's a problem, right? So I've gone through, we've, we've basically had our entire house renovated. Over the years, different things, knocking out closets and this and that. There was one time in particular, uh, it's an old house, but there was one time in particular that I remember, it's probably one of the first renovations we did. Uh, I was a kid, I remember my mom looking at my dad and saying, I don't like that counter. So when my dad said, you don't like that counter, she said, no, I don't like that counter. I want to get rid of that counter. So he went outside, grabbed a sledgehammer, and took one good swing. And then we no longer had a counter. <laughs> but as he was getting rid of it and taking pieces out and throwing them out the windows and, of course, saying all kind of just very, very polite language during the course of it, right? Like, as he was doing this, he gets to the bottom of this counter and he realizes this counter used to be a wall. And when he got to the bottom of it, he was looking at the ground underneath the house that we have just like gone into. A, we, we now have a hole in our floor. And I still remember, like, it was a fun, it was, you know, jokes and this and that, but I think that's what the nature of an old house. Whenever you want to do a renovation, sometimes you start doing things and then you realize, oh, we got a little bit bigger problem than we thought we had. There might be a little bit more under the surface that we got to deal with than we thought we had. Try and replace some floor. You pull up some carpet and all of a sudden we don't just see that we need new floor and we see that the floor is rotted out. Like sometimes when we're doing these kind of little projects and things, especially in an old house, you might, you might get more than you bargained for. I think today the, this image of renovating a house is something that could be applicable to all of us in our spiritual life. That if you think about it, 
we as dwellings of the Holy Spirit, we being called temples of the Holy Spirit, at our baptism, we received the Holy Spirit into our life in a profound way. At our confirmation, those of us who are confirmed, we received the Holy Spirit, like that, 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 that gift of baptism was sealed and matured. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit walking around. That our heart, our soul, is a place where God is meant to dwell in us. And we're supposed to carry that presence of God with us. Now, if we're supposed to be temples of the Holy Spirit, the question I have is, what's your heart look like? Is it a suitable place for God to live? Or does it look like a, a, a fixer-upper? Does it look like a house that might need a fresh coat of paint, some remodeling? Do we have, do we have in, your, in your heart of hearts, do you have these, these little things like busted outlets or a leak or some rusty pipes that need to be kind of fixed or, or tweaked or, or worked on? Those little sins that we like to hold on to that we can live with, but we probably shouldn't. Today, when we look at our gospel, we see these two, these two people coming before God in prayer. They're coming to experience God in prayer. And I'll be honest, they have very, very different dwellings of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now Jesus, when He puts this out there, He knows His crowd. He knows the crowd that He's talking to. These are some proud people He's talking to. And He's trying... He's saying, these people who are proud, who like to look at the undesirables across the way and say, I'm better than them at least, Jesus says, I'm, we're going to teach them something. So what does he do? He takes this image of a tax collector and of a Pharisee. Now, anytime in Scripture, anytime in the Old Testament, in this culture, a Pharisee was seen as a religious elite. They were supposed to be models of virtue and of holiness and of all these things. They were supposed to be like God on earth in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, these people were exalted and lifted up because they were good people. They were holy people. They were, they were followers of the law. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were the lowest of the low. They were sinners. They were living in public scandal constantly. They were seen as just an outcast, a crook, whatever you want to say. Like, they were just kind of thrown aside. And Jesus, by showing this way of prayer where He says the Pharisee prays imperfectly, and the tax collector prays perfectly. By doing this, he's kind of twisting it on his head. He's making sure that this crowd hears this, this teaching from a standpoint of if a Pharisee is praying about themselves, to themselves, then there's no room for God. If a Pharisee is so full of himself that there's no room for God, then they're not justified. On the other hand, the tax collector, if they recognize their weakness, they recognize their smallness, they recognize their limitedness and their sin and their brokenness, they can be justified. Because they come before God with a sense of humility. These are two attitudes, I think. Two of a few different attitudes that I think we can approach God with in our life and not even realize it. 
Like sometimes we can relate to God in a certain way and not even realize what we're doing because, it's, because in our culture, in this Cajun culture, right, it's, it's so accepted that God's there. I think there's a couple of ways that we can relate to God. One, I don't need God. Two, I need God when I need God. And three, I always need God. Now obviously, don't need God. I need God when I need God. I always need God. The winning group, the winning one, the right pick is C. I always need God. But let's walk through them for a second. I don't need God. I got a feeling that no one in this church is feeling this on a daily, normal basis. I don't need God. If you, if you are, you might have walked into the wrong building because there's a very good chance you didn't wake up for 11 o'clock Mass to, come to, ch- to get ready to come to church if you don't really believe that I need God. At somewhere in your life. Now the reality is though, this is what the world is about. Our world is constantly saying over and over and over again, putting it out there over and over and over again, that I don't need God, that something else will do. You can fill it in. An ideology, a political system, an economic system, whatever. Well, something's going to be your God. What is it going to be? The world likes to pick a lot of other options other than God. Our, our, our culture right now, they, the, the latest stats came out, and reality is, is that last year there are less people that are affiliated with the faith, with a faith, with an organized religion, than there were the year before. And again this year, there are less people that are affiliated with a specific faith than there were last year. That the trend is showing that less and less people affiliate themselves directly with the faith. Because there's part of our culture has said, I don't need God. Now, I need God when I need God. I think that's the one, I don't know about you, that's the one I struggle with. That's the one that kind of, that, that competes for my attention. I need God when I need God. What do I mean? When I went to college, um, there was a spot, I remember a couple of months after being in college, there was a spot where for about a month, I had called my mom for one question and one question only. Can you send me money? That relationship is not a relationship of love. That's a relationship of utility. If all I'm doing is calling my family and saying, hey, can you send money, then there's a problem there because I stopped treating my mom as mom. I started treating her as an ATM. That all of a sudden, this relationship of utility eclipsed a relationship of love that was supposed to be there. I think sometimes in our relationship with God, we do the same thing. God, please help. Thank you. I'll see you next time I need something. We keep God at an arm's distance away sometimes. Where, look, 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 why don't you come in, if you want to use the image of the house, right? Why don't you come in and look, just fix that one bad light switch I got. 
That's all I need you to do. And then you can go away. My God's like a holy electrician or a holy plumber that's coming in to fix one little thing, one little project. Okay, thanks. I'll call you next time I need something. See, our Lord doesn't work like a vending machine or an ATM or some kind of utility kind of relationship. God doesn't want to be just around when we need Him. I need God when I need God is not enough for our God. When God's relate, God wants to be in relationship with His people, He doesn't say that I need you when I need you and that's enough. He says, no, 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 I need you and I want to be with you to the point that I'm going to become man and become you. I need God when I need God is not enough. You see, the Pharisee in today's Gospel is saying he doesn't need God. He's in this place of pride. He's praying in the temple. He's literally, as the, as the Scripture says, he's praying to himself. Putting himself on equal plane with God. I don't need God. I can be my own God. This tax collector, though, teaches us something. That we always need God. But the thing is, to get from I need God when I need God to we always need God, there's a, there's a hurdle, there's a bridge that we've got to build. There's a way that we've got to get from one to the next. And I think one of the biggest hurdles that stands in the way of that is fear. Look, Lord, I, I want you in my life. I really do want you to come and live in this house. But like, be prepared for what you're going to find. I really want you to come and be a part of my life, Lord. I want you to come and dwell within me. But like, that switch in those pipes, that, that's a couple of things. Really, the foundation's cracking. Like, we got a God that's not, not satisfied with just coming in to visit, to fix a little thing and leave. God wants to come in and renovate your life, make your life a whole new creation so that He can live there, dwell there, and you look more like Him. God wants to dwell in our hearts, dwell in our lives to the point that we cease to look like ourselves and start to look a whole lot more like Him. And I'll be honest, that's scary. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I got a lot of junk. I got a lot of parts of my house that, that I'm not happy with. There's spaces and corners and crevices in my house that I don't let anybody into much less God. Because it might change the way He looks at me. Like I, I, There was an image that was once said to me by a priest friend of mine. He said, he said there was a, like if, if you imagine this, use this image of a house, he says, you can, you can pretend that you've locked one of your doors and sealed it, and nobody goes in there. You don't even go in there. It's the junk room of your house. Where I've just stuffed all the bad, all the hurt, all the pain, all the struggle, all my deepest and darkest secrets and sins, that's where they are. I don't touch that door. And I don't let anybody else touch it either. And we can pretend in our heart and in our mind that we're, we're in some way hiding this stuff from God. But in reality, we're a house without a roof and God's staring at it, just wanting to be let in.
In reality, all of this pain, all of this suffering, all this hurt, all this struggle, whatever it is, whatever baggage we have in our lives, whatever we've been hoarding and hiding in the back room, the Lord wants to come and clean it out with us. Not for us, with us. He's willing to be with us in the mess to the point that He's going to become a man and take on sin, take on the burden of sin and die for us. If that's the case, he can clean out a couple of boxes. No matter how big they might be. You see, for each one of us, God is calling us, God wants to be with us despite our sin. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, God wants to be with us because of our sin. Because he's the source of healing. He's the source of help. He's the balm that, that heals the wound. God steps down and reaches out to us because of sin. He comes to he comes to wants to dwell in us because we fall, because we're sinners. I think oftentimes we, there's this image of whenever we think of, of God's of God's mercy, sometimes we can think of it from a standpoint of like a judge in a courtroom, and we're like in shackles, orange jumpsuit and all. And he's like sending us out. Good luck. When in reality, our God doesn't look at us with, with, with just judgment or hate or something like that. He looks at us with his mercy. He looks at us much more like a dad who's just there to clean up his son's mess when he spilled milk. It's okay, buddy. I love you. It's okay. I, I, I still love you. It's not a problem. We're going to fix it. I love you. That's the way that God relates to us. That's the way that, that's the God that we have who wants to relate to us to the point that He wants to live with us in our hearts despite the mess. If you're at the spot where you're, you're your heart is like a castle that's perfectly ordained, like perfectly decorated, shiplap and everything. Like if you're if if you're ready to go and you got a space that's fitting a dwelling for the Lord, Amen. Thank you. But if you've got a little shack, a little wooden shotgun house that needs a lot of work, that's okay too. Because God wants to dwell there the same. God wants to give Himself to us the same. God wants to meet you here at Mass the same. When we come into Mass, at the beginning of Mass, the first thing we do is what? The penitential rite. Where we say that we're sorry for the sins that we've committed. Why? Because we're all fallen. And God still shows up to dwell with us. For each one of us, there's an invitation constantly to go to confession. Why? So, not so that for some reason we can like guilt, be guilted in front of the priest of saying something. It's so that we can receive the healing directly from Jesus Himself in the sacrament that He promised. God wants to come and dwell with you in your heart forever. So that you would be with Him forever. God's much more of a loving, caring father than some kind of tyrant. So may our, our prayer today echo the words of the tax collector. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
so that we can receive Him and He can dwell in our hearts and help with our renovation.